Good morning. Please join me for today's scripture reading. They're selected passages from Proverbs. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. The uncultivated field of the poor yields abundant food, but without justice, it is swept away. All the days of the needy are miserable, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Wealth attracts many friends, but a poor person is separated from his friend. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. The one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will himself also call out and not be answered. Don't move an ancient boundary marker and don't encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their redeemer is strong and he will champion their cause against you. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. The one who mocks the poor insults his maker, and one who rejoices over calamity will not go unpunished. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sohi. We're in a series this fall on the book of Proverbs called Get Wisdom. Why Proverbs? Well, it felt very timely to me, extremely timely. Proverbs is the book that I believe can give us what we need, that can cut through all the disagreements, the divisions, the divisiveness that we are living in right now. It's a book that shows us even more than Getting the right answer. What's the answer to this issue? Even more than getting on the right side. What's the right side on this controversial issue? More than getting either of those things, Proverbs says we need to get wisdom. Wisdom is taking what is right, what is good, and what is true, and putting it to use. And putting it to use in such a way that doesn't further divide, that doesn't further damage, but actually brings healing and peace, even to those people whom we disagree with. Is that possible? <laughs> wow, that's quite a claim. Even now, Proverbs, I believe, tells us it is. The last four messages we've looked at have focused on Wisdom for relationships. And we've mainly been focusing on our everyday relationships with our family, work, school, friends, church, those kinds of relationships. This morning, we're going to be looking at our relationship to the poor. 
obvious from all those Proverbs we just read. The Proverbs say a lot about the poor. And there's no way we're going to cover everything that it says. When I was thinking about this, you know, setting up the sermon here saying this is a book we need for controversy, there's not much controversy on this particular topic at the high level. We should care for the poor. You know, no one here is like, how dare you say that? No, that is not politically correct. Or whatever. Everyone is like, that's a good thing, no matter what side of all these issues. You're on, everybody agrees, we should do that, but how? How should we care for the poor? That's where it gets a little bit more complicated or a lot more complicated. And if everybody agrees that caring for the poor is a good thing, then we all just have to sit back and let the lights go down and consider these statistics. One in 10 people across the globe is poor. And the, the global definition of poverty is $1.90 per day. One out of every 10 people on this earth fits that description. And this shocked me, actually, as I looked at the local statistics, fairly new statistics, 19% of people living in Orange County live at or below the poverty line. Almost one in five people in our county. And that is defined for California as about $35,000 for a family of four. Now, what do we do about this? This is where wisdom is needed. As I said, the Proverbs say a lot about poverty. There's over 30-plus Proverbs on this topic. Proverbs says, in summary, that truly and actively caring for the poor is one of the main ways that we can tell whether we have a living and active faith. That actually makes a difference. The word for that in the Proverbs is the word righteous or righteousness. Righteousness is kind of, you know, a technical, churchy type of word. It means right relationship. The righteous is in right relationship with God, with others, and even beyond that, into their social environment and even into their natural environment. That is the righteous person. Now, with all the controversy we've been living through, there's something that I feel like is, is not um, up for debate anymore, and that is this. Everyone at some level separates the world into categories. Good, bad, righteous, wicked. Not just Christians who've been guilty of this kind of thing or thinking about these categories like that. And not just religious people. People say, well, the far left is over there and everybody else is over here. Wicked, righteous. Other people say the far right is over there. Wicked, everybody else not over there. Righteous. Or some people say those people who are guilty of those types of sins, that we would say that's wicked, they're over there, and the rest of us are over here. We all separate the world in some way. What does the Bible say separates the righteous and the wicked person? Where you have these over here and those people over there. Look at Proverbs 29.7 and we can flip to that slide. It says it very, very clearly here. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. The wicked may say they have a concern for the poor, 
but it's no real true concern that makes any difference in their lives or leads to any action. And here, Proverbs 29.7 says, here's a dividing line from the scriptures. Those who care for the poor and those who really, they just don't have any concern about it at all. Now, how do we get to become people who truly care for the poor? Like I said, there's a lot Proverbs says about this issue, but I think there are three core principles that give us the wisdom to become people who truly care for the poor. First, feel what it is like to be poor. The Proverbs don't just tell us to act for the poor. They, it does. Not just to understand the complex causes of poverty that causes poverty. It speaks to that. Not just warn us about what happens if we are people who don't really care. It speaks to that. But the Proverbs does something that is unique and that is critical. We need this. For any of that other stuff to make an impact on us. Act for the poor. Listen to these warnings. Understand the complex causes of poverty. It all kind of is just talk unless this hits home. The wise person cares for the poor because they have learned to feel what it is like to be poor. A number of Proverbs do this. And you have those printed in the bulletin, and I'm going to put those up on the screen as well. 1323. Let's flip to the next slide. Yeah, let's keep it there. The uncultivated field of the poor yields abundant food, but without justice it is swept away. You see what this is saying? You can have resources. You can be diligent. You're working your fields. You're cultivating your fields. And you can have enough of that to have all of your needs taken care of abundantly. Abundant food. But injustice can sweep it all away. And I think the point of this proverb is to get us to ask, how does that feel? How does it feel when we've done everything we can do? We should have everything that we need to take care of ourselves, but there is injustice that takes it all away from us. Now, this is just a small taste of that feeling. I was trying to think, what, what even is a small taste of this feeling? Maybe you've been working on a document a paper, a project, you've been working on it on your laptop, on your computer, and you're almost done, and you feel good about it. You say, I've done a lot of work. This is going to be good. Okay, and then you go to open it up, and it's nowhere to be found. Where's my document? And you're freaking out, and you're looking everywhere for it. Where's my document? I have to have this. I've done so much work. I can't start all over again. Has it happened to you? <laughs> it's happened to me before. How disheartening is that? You just want to take your computer and like smash it into a million pieces and you want to sue Bill Gates and all these kinds of things come into your mind because you're so angry and disheartened. This proverb is saying, just, just feel what that's like. And this proverb does also tell us that the causes of poverty are more complex than just personal responsibility. You can become poor because of irresponsibility. Proverbs speaks to laziness, lack of discipline, gluttony, no self-control. But there is also systemic issues that keep people in the cycles of poverty. There's another proverb. It's not here. It's Proverbs 18.23. It says, the rich often answer the poor harshly, 
when the needy are asking for help. And that often happens because the rich have no idea what it feels like for their work and their resources to be swept away by issues outside of their control. And they say, I did it. I got this stuff. I'm fine. How, can't, how come you can't? How does that feel? Proverbs 15, 15, all the days of the needy are miserable, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. What's going on here? There's quite a statement being made. It says po- poverty comes with misery. That is there every day. This proverb is saying, even in, in that situation, despite that, you can still have a cheerful heart that overcomes that situation, that endures. But the point is that this is a joy that is there in spite of your circumstances, but there's never a joy that comes because of your circumstances. Now, I know we're called to a deep and abiding joy in the Scriptures beyond our circumstances, but still we need to sit back and go, how often in our lives do we get joy from our circumstances? Things go our way. We get a promotion. We get a new awesome toy from Amazon, and it comes through our door. Whatever it might be, we get joy from those things. What is it like to live a life where you never experience that joy? All your joy is in spite of your circumstances. It's hard to find that joy day in and day out. One more. 22.7, the rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now here's a proverb. It's just saying this is the fact of life. If you look around, you see this is how the world works. Sad but true fact. But I think its intended impact on us is to pack this emotional punch. It's the rich who rule. The rich make the rules. They open and close the doors. They decide who gets in and who gets out and who has the resources and the jobs and the contracts and the opportunities, who have the money to put people in bondage to debt. Do you know how that feels to always be on the other side of this? It feels like slavery, like it's not up to you, like your life is not yours, your ability or your diligence. Your life is not in your hands. It's in the hands of others who have the power. Can you feel that a little bit? That is hard. Proverbs also speaks to the social pain of the poor. If this is kind of the personal emotional pain of the poor, let's flip to the next slide. 19.4 says, wealth attracts many friends, but a poor person is separated from his friend. And there are a couple more up there. I just want to look at 19.4. This is also a gut punch. Look at this. Wealth attracts many friends. We understand how that works, right? People who are wealthy, people want to be around them. I want to be your friend because there's something that I can get out of this. There's a benefit. There's something you can give to me. But a poor person is separated or deserted. This isn't a typo from his friend, singular. The one friend the poor has will easily desert him or her. You know, the poor can't build your network or add to your LinkedIn connections. They can't give you like that extra World Series or Super Bowl ticket or whatever it is that they have on hand. To befriend the poor is not to befriend someone for what they can give to you. And the poor feel this. Here's something I want us all to consider and this struck me this week. 
It's an issue that's very complicated beyond one person or even one community solving it. But think about our county and how our lives are structured. One, one reason why it's so hard to care for the poor for us is our neighborhoods are set up in such a way to quarantine the poor, as one author put it. We call it the suburbs. Forcing the poor to live in places with no neighbors, no friends, to have any resources or connections to help them. And that's how we've set things up. There's one church in the Denver area that said, you know, we, we, we are convinced that this is a problem. We need to advocate for low-income housing in our community, in a wealthy area of Denver. And they said, we've never been the recipient of so much hate and protest against us until we said, maybe the poor should be our neighbors here in this community. And that was met with such opposition. The poor feel that. The point of all this is you won't truly care. You won't hopefully wisely care for the poor unless you begin to feel what it is like to be poor. If you too quickly say, yeah, I, I think I can empathize with that. I think Proverbs would tell us don't be too quick. This isn't the same thing as pity. This isn't the same thing as I was a poor graduate student. I know some of us come from very humble beginnings, but we need to listen. There's a project called Voices of the Poor. Uh, those in poverty were asked a question, just what is poverty? Some of the poorest in the world were asked that question. And here is some of what they said. Somebody in Moldova, Eastern Europe said, for the poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We're like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. In Senegal, somebody said this, your hunger is never satisfied. Your thirst is never quenched. You can never sleep until you are no longer tired. In Uganda, when one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. She has no food, so there is famine in her house, no clothing, and no progress in her family. In Vietnam, if you're hungry, you always be hungry. If you're poor, you always be poor. In Ecuador, what determines poverty or well-being? The indigenous people's destiny is to be poor. Just let that hit us. That's a lot. Everything is terrible. There's shame, humiliation, feel like garbage, no progress, powerless, stuck, inferior, and all of it feels like this is our destiny. Proverbs wants us to feel that. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus had to be made like us in every way so he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. It tells us that Jesus felt like he learned what it feels like, he felt what it feels like to be tempted. He was weak, so he could help us in exactly the way we need. He knows what it feels like. He gives us the exact care that we need in the same way. We won't know what kind of care the poor need unless we know what it feels like to be poor. The last thing I'll say about this is 
this takes more than just reading about it. This takes more than just hearing about it. This takes more than just watching a documentary about it. It takes getting close, being in relationship, being among the poor. Proverbs calls us to that. That is wisdom. That's the wisdom we need to be people who truly care. Second point. First, know what it feels like to be poor. Second, know you are not above the poor. Those who are not poor often look down on the poor, don't we? Now, it's both those who you would say they have no concern over the poor. It's their fault. It's their deal. Let them deal with it. And this often is the case for people who do try to care, but do it from a place of superiority or a patronizing kind of spirit or caring from a distance by giving money or just quick bursts of serving. This is not the kind of care that the Bible calls us to give to the poor. Let's look at what the Proverbs say to this. Next slide, 22.2. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. 29.13. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. When it says they have this in common, they have this in common, literally the Hebrew is they meet together. This is where the poor and the rich meet. People who rarely ever meet literally in person, but they meet here, they're both made by God, made in the image of God, the rich and the oppressor. They think they are above the poor. The poor feel like they are below the rich, but in God's eyes, they meet together on equal ground with equal dignity and glory. Did we lose our PowerPoint? Oh, there it is. Okay, just making sure. You can keep that up. Now you say, okay, I know some people might think that. They think they're above the poor. That's not me. I, I know that I'm not above the poor. But let me push a little bit. How can you tell if this attitude is within you? Here's one way. You have confident answers to the complex causes and issues of poverty. If, it, if they would just do this, if we would just do that program, it would be all solved if you're too confident. Or if you do help, but you find that as you're helping people in need, you kind of get upset. You get frustrated easily. You get angry at those you're trying to help and how they respond to that help. You feel like their lives would change better if they were just to follow your advice and do what you say. Or if you do serve the poor but never really enter into real relationship or have ever had a friendship with somebody who is in need. There's a series of books called When Helping Hurts. It's a series of books on this very issue. How do you help the poor in a way that doesn't hurt? And they say, so many of us suffer from what they call a God complex, which is this, listen to the definition, a subtle and unconscious sense of superiority in which the economically rich believe they have achieved their wealth through their own efforts and that they have been anointed to decide what is best for low-income people whom they view as inferior to themselves. Let me just ask you this, friends, and ask you to consider this question. If you do really want to care for the poor, you have to be willing to ask, is there any of this in me? Also, do you believe 
that the poor can help you. This is the mark of somebody who knows they're not above the poor. They, they believe that when I'm in a relationship with somebody who is materially less well-off than me, I'm going in with the mindset, I'm not just here to be a savior. I'm here to learn as well. I have a lot to learn. There's a few Proverbs that speak to this. Look at this, 1816. Let's flip to the next slide. Oh, actually, it should be 1619. There's so, so many Proverbs, they get mixed up sometimes. 1619 says, It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. And then two others that sound similar. 1921, better the poor whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. 28.6, better the poor person who lives with integrity than the rich one who distorts right and wrong. The scholars of Proverbs call these better than sayings. And taken as a whole, we see... It's saying sometimes it's actually better to be poor. Despite all the hard realities that come with poverty, the poor who have humility, integrity, a vibrant, a vibrant spiritual walk with God have something to teach those who are rich. Those who don't have to think much about their material well-being. One of the points being made here is that when you are rich and you have resources, it's so much easier to become prideful. Like 19 or 8 or 1619 says, to devoid your divide your spoil with the proud, to say, This is the spoil of the fruit of my efforts. Look what I got. And to soak in pride, believing that it's because of you that you have all those things. Middle class people, we like to point to the crimes of the poor sometimes, don't we? Because it kind of gets us off the hook. Those are the issues in that community. Here, God is pointing to the crimes of the middle class and the rich. Pride, compromise, dishonesty. And he's calling us in order to humble us. To say, no, you are not above the poor. If you don't know that, you won't really care for the poor. Let's move to our third point need to feel what it's like to be poor. We need to know we're not above the poor. And lastly, realize that our faith is inseparable from the poor. There are many belief systems, many religions, many people, like we said, would say, care for the poor. Everybody should care for the poor. That's agreement all across the board. But based on my study and my best understanding, no other belief system comes anywhere close to what Christianity says. And what Proverbs highlights, realize your faith is inseparable from the poor. Not just one of the virtues you must do. Not just one of the duties on the list of what it means to be a good Christian. It is inseparable from the poor. Let me explain this in increasing levels of inseparability here. Number one. Proverbs 21, 13, maybe this caught your eye when we read it. How you care for the poor is inseparable from your prayer life. Let's move to that slide, 21, 3. The one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also himself call out and not be answered. Is that true? <laughs> that God is saying, if we don't hear we just don't hear it. I don't know what's going on with the poor. I'm not hearing anything. That that directly 
impact. It's inseparable from our prayers. Next slide. How you care for the poor is inseparable from your trust in God. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Here's what I want to pinpoint in these two Proverbs. If we believe these were true, it would take a radical trust in God to meet our needs. This is saying we aren't as generous as maybe we ought to be. The reason and the root cause of our lack of generosity is because we don't trust God to provide beyond what we are comfortable sharing. And we get very uncomfortable if it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I'm that generous, what about me? And Proverbs is saying that is the point where you know you're being generous. But to give more requires the giver to trust more. So how we care for the poor is inseparable from our trust in God because it's only that trust that I believe this is true. If I give to the point that it hurts, if I'm generous with my time for the poor, I'll be blessed. I will lack nothing. And I trust that God will come through. Lastly, this is the one that I had the hardest time wording. It's the most, the most closely tied together of all these. How you care for the poor is inseparable from God himself. Next slide. That's the best way I can say what these Proverbs are saying. Look at this again. 1431. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. The one who mocks the poor insults his maker, and the one who rejoices over calamity will not go unpunished. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. What is going on with these texts? God is saying, almost, I am the poor. How you treat them is how you treat me. You give to them, you give to me. You mock them, you mock me. You oppress them, you hate me. This is intense. How you care for the poor is so connected to how you relate to God and treat God. It's, these are saying it's the same thing. This is just so challenging. This is so convicting. This illustration is not going to do it justice, but it's the best one I could think of, and it's going to be painful for some of you, so I apologize. But some of us are like super fans for our sports teams, and I know there's pain here in the room because of, of the Dodgers, right? But um, I think the fresh pain will help this illustration set in for you. But if you are a fan, like a true fan of your team, Maybe it's not a team. Maybe it's like a, an actor or an actress. You just love them so much or a singer or a musical group. So this can relate if you're not a sports person. Just that one thing that you love. And for me, I am a sports fan, and it is the Florida Gators football team. That's where I went to school. So when I watch the game, everything that happens, it's like it's happening to me. And if they lose, then I'm angry and I'm upset and I'm just horrible person to be around. And sometimes I think it's just the uniform. If their uniform was switched, and I didn't know, oh, surprise, it was the Florida Gators playing. But just because I know that's the team. If somebody starts mocking the Gators, 
something, it feels like they're mocking me. <laughs> they're talking bad about my team. If somebody's like celebrating, they get, you're my best friend. Like, let's talk. Let's hang out. Let's, let's be friends forever because you love the Gators. And this applies if it's like your favorite singer or your group or whatever it is. Whatever happens to them, it feels like it's happening to you. You can't help it but react. You can't help but respond. And that just captures just a little bit of what God is saying here in the Proverbs about the poor. Jesus, in one of his most famous parables, he made the same point. Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And here Jesus said, I'm going to tell you about the great separation in all of humanity because the Son of Man, that's what he called himself, when the Son of Man comes, all the nations will be gathered and he will separate sheep on the one hand and goats on the other. And everyone's going, how did I get over here on the sheep side? How did I get over here on the goat side? And Jesus says to both of them, he says to the sheep, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they're all going, when? When did that happen? And many of you know what he says, as you did unto the least of these, so you did unto me. And to the goats, they say, we never saw you. We, we never, you didn't visit me. You didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. So as you did not do unto the least of these, so you did unto me. How can this be? How can it be this inseparable? That the way you treat those in a needy, those who have material need and physical need, how does it reveal what we believe about our spiritual need and our spiritual condition and cure? Let me say that again in a different way. The way that we treat those in a needy physical condition reveals what we really believe about our spiritual condition and its cure. Think about it like this. If Jesus said to us, if they need help, they know where to find it. Or this is their doing. They made this mess. They can get their way out of it. They don't deserve this. Or I'll help, but not in a way that really costs me. I'll help, but I won't get too close. The gospel is, Jesus came to us. He sought us out when we wanted nothing to do with him and his help. The gospel is, we are in a mess of our own making. We don't deserve any help, but we get abundant grace. The gospel is Jesus knew that helping us would cost him everything. And he bore the cost willingly. And Jesus didn't help at a distance, but came right into a world of spiritual poverty, feeling its pain and its brokenness. This is all that is behind what we already read in the service in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. which said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We can feel what it's like to feel poor. 
knowing how poor we are apart from the grace of Jesus. We can know that we are not above the poor because we know we add nothing. We add nothing to our salvation, and all we bring to it is empty hands. 1 John says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but withholds compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? John is saying if love doesn't come out of you when you have material possessions and see someone in need, if you close your heart against the poor, how does the love of God abide in you? If it did, it would come out because God's love comes out to the needy and to the poor. Verse 16, 1 John 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is saying to us, if love doesn't come out of us when we see the poor, then we need to be brokenhearted. We need to come spiritually poor. We need to come knowing and confessing the ways that we have seen ourselves as above those in need and say, break my heart, fill me with your love. Show me again that my only hope is that you laid down your life for me so that I might have that love in me activated and moving out when I see a person in need. Let's pray. Together, let's ask the Lord to give us that kind of heart. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't leave us in our poverty, in our nakedness, in our homelessness. But you emptied yourself, you became poor so that you might make us rich. You clothed us with your righteousness. And you gave us an everlasting home in the Father's family. We pray we'd be amazed at what love is this, undeserved, unearned, and completely and utterly free. I pray that our hearts would be broken again, that you'd fill us up with that kind of love so we could be people who are wise, gracious, and generous in how we care for the poor. We ask it in your powerful name. Amen.